It was beautiful hearing us sing those songs together. Thank you for joining your voices together as one, as one community of faith that is grounded and held together by this cross, by the cross of Christ. The story of the cross must be told. The gift within the cross of Christ cannot be silenced. The implications of the cross we, we have to grapple with. A couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of uh, being, being with a, a gentleman, a man who was nearing the end of his life. He knew it. His family knew it. And the family members were trying to prompt their dad to tell all the stories. Um, Dad, what about that time when you were a kid and you got in trouble in this way? And he would kind of laugh and turn. And he'd be like, oh, don't make me tell that story. But then he would tell the story. And it was lovely. And, and you could tell that his breath was labored, that it was, it was still a struggle. But every time he started to talk, um, one, of, one of them came out with their phone and hit record and just started to try to capture the last words of this wonderful godly man. Final words are often cherished. As the breath of a loved one becomes labored and weak, we, we lean in trying to catch every word. In each of the Gospels, Jesus utters final words on the cross. Some were cries that nobody would miss. Others feel like intimate whispers. With failing breath, surely the final words of Jesus are worth hearing. Let's go to these final words today. John's account is the one of those accounts that feels private. It feels personal. It feels intimate. You get a sense that the words coming out of Jesus were hushed whispers just for those that were nearby. And that only if you were leaning in and only if you were remaining near the cross would you have heard these final words mentioned among family and friends and the guards that were nearby. Would you turn with me to John 19, verses 25 to 30. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Mother, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, he said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I thirst. 
I, I am sure many of you can remember that one hiking trip where you did not bring enough water and you hit the top and you're on your way down and you're just like so, so thirsty. Or perhaps um, you go out on a boat trip realizing you have water everywhere but you can't drink any of it. I remember myself when I was traveling, I, I found myself um, being so unwilling to spend money that I didn't buy any water bottles but there were no water, there was no healthy water available. So I was getting thirstier and thirstier and thirstier until I got so desperate that I did what every normal person does and went and bought a bottle of water. <laughs> we thirst. It's a human condition. We feel it quickly and easily. And after losing large quantities of blood through his flogging and crucifixion, Jesus experienced extraordinary thirst. Jesus was really experiencing the horrors of the cross, including extreme thirst. He was fully human, the sort of being who knew desperate thirst. Jesus was really experiencing the horrors of the cross, including all of these things. That, and as we we see Jesus, he didn't just observe humanity from some distance and with some kind of pity, but he was in it, in the thick of it. He was intimately aware of pain and suffering. He knew what it was like to suffer. And as Jesus whispers his last words, my encouragement is let him whisper words of truth and power into our own lives that the God of the universe understands your pain. That the God of this universe walked dusty roads. You are not alone in your suffering. When he is crying on the cross, he is crying with all of the tears and brokenness and thirst of our entire humanity. And it's all in this moment, in that moment on the cross where everything is being funneled down into Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, his flesh and blood. His whisper is the whisper of the abandoned kid. His broken and humiliated and stripped naked body is the same humiliated body as, as the sex slave that's been abused her whole life. The ridicule and the mockery that he received while hanging on the cross is the same as the teasing and the bullying experienced by the student day in and day out. Jesus understands what it means to be bullied. Jesus understands what it means to be abandoned and to thirst. He was thirsty and he was in need. The crucified Lord, he understands. And if you are that broken person, if you are that mocked person, if you are that stripped bare person that has nothing and feels defeated and alone and alienated, this is the Christ who comes to us. If you are thirsty, thirsty for living water, thirsty for purpose, thirsty for forgiveness, he is the God who knows and who cares Hebrews 2.17 says this, He had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might 
make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus had to be fully human to save us. He knows what it is to feel like you feel right now. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Mark and Matthew are more dramatic in their final account of Jesus. There's more crashing and symbols and tearing and darkness, and it's big and grand and extreme. And in that gospel, we hear his last words that he might not, he understands our suffering, but he doesn't just understand our suffering. He entered far past human suffering. He reached so far past into a place where he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From the beginning of time, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in intimate and mysterious fellowship. God is a relational God, a God of love at the very center of it all. And we see this deep connection all the way through Scripture. And we see it most profoundly in the person of Jesus. It says that Jesus did everything through the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led him here and led him there. He also says that he spoke only what the Father gave him to say. Jesus knew the love of the Father, and it brought him great joy. It was everything to him. He, was said, he said, I and the Father are one. But on this horrid cross, as the sin of the world was heaped upon his shoulders, there was a moment of terrible separation, unfathomable separation. Yes, Jesus understands you. He understands the human condition. But more than that, he is gone when he went to the cross. He went to a place of darkness and separation so far from the Father that we don't have to be separated from the Father. He became sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of Jesus, we can come to God freely, boldly crying out, I need help. I am afraid. I am thirsty in body and in soul. Jesus, help me. And he doesn't just understand. He can respond because he has done a work on the cross that no one else could do. Back to the Gospel of John, there was the statement, it is finished. Um, for a time, I was an enrollment and admissions uh, officer. I worked at a local university, and it was my job to help uni university students or help students get to seminary. Now, for some of us, that was a very quick and easy process. It was like, okay, transcripts here, you've done this, great. But for others, particularly international students, 
The checklist was eternal. Like, and I felt so bad for them. They would get a call, and sometimes I would get a call, and it would be from different places, and I would instantly know, oh, this is going to be a long road, and you might not ever make it here. And I tried to find a way to say that without being discouraging, but for some, they were determined. And so, yes, submit a transcript. Oh, sorry, you have to have that transcript translated. Oh, sorry, you, you can't actually just have a photocopy of the transcript. It needs to be a signed document. Oh, that, that university doesn't even exist anymore? Um, well, can you have someone notarize that? And it just went on and on. This one lady, she was getting so close to the end of the process, and she called up, and I said, you are so close. She's like, am I finished yet? Is it done yet? Is it done? And I was like, one more thing. And I felt so bad. I was like, one more thing. Do you have proof that you can financially support yourself for the entire year? To which she uh, actually said she could. And to which the process moved along. But it was forever in their minds, is it actually finished? We as humans, we're doubters. We, we are suspicious. We were cautious. And that... I feel is understandable given the world that we live in. How many of us, we grab our phone, hello, yes, hi. Oh, you don't say there's a cash, a cash deposit that is for me? What do you, okay, so you just want me to tell you your, my, my banking information? No, okay, what, so, sorry, what uncle has what estate? <laughs> We, and it's only getting worse, and it's getting more clever. We, we live in a world where it's easy to doubt. It makes sense that we would doubt. It, it's natural for us. But we also have a tendency to doubt the statements that Jesus makes. We have a tendency to doubt what Scripture proclaims as promises, and the enemy in his own sneaky way flips these things upside down, and he turns a statement like, It is finished. And our brains say, is, is it finished? Because I don't feel like I've done everything I'm supposed to. I don't feel like I've made, made everything right. I don't feel like I've worked hard enough to earn this. I don't feel quite like it's finished. And we have this natural doubt that when Jesus said, it is finished, maybe there was a, a wait. The sentence, it is finished, is, is actually one word in the Greek. And the 19th century preacher Charles uh, Spurgeon said that th in this one word would need all the other words that were ever spoken or ever could be spoken to explain it. It is altogether immeasurable. And so we ask, what, what is finished? Well, the horror of the extreme physical pain is almost finished. The separation from his beloved father is almost finished. The horror, horror of bearing human sin is almost finished. On the verge of death, Jesus' suffering is almost finished. But what else is finished? Throughout his ministry, Jesus mentions his calling to finish the works of his father that had been given to him. In John 4, 34, it says, My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. 
When Jesus cried, and hear me, friends, when Jesus cried, it is finished, he felt the release from this work that the Father had given him. And as you hear the words, it is finished, realize that God's great plan for salvation has come to fruition. The penalty for sin has been paid. The gap between sinful humanity and a holy God has been bridged. It is finished. And you can finally be completely whole. And I know that there are many of us who do not feel like it is finished that we still need to do something right, that we still need to fix the problems, that we still need to balance the scales. We're still looking for that, and we still don't believe that it, it could actually be finished in the sacrifice of one person. And this is the mystery and beauty and depth of the cross, that the cross is sufficient there is no second plan. Jesus Christ was not crucified by chance. This was all according to plan. Jesus went to his death as the climax of a loving creator's purpose. Because of the pains of this world, Jesus took it upon himself. The humanity and the immortality that he had, he let go of. He let go of that and became mortal and let himself die a sinner's death. The price truly, truly has been paid. In Christ, it is finished. We can't earn freedom. We can't heal ourselves. We can't turn on the light. But we can put our trust in the one who has. We can put all of our trust in him and know that he will take care of us. In Luke's gospel, Jesus' final words were this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's saying, my life and my death are in your hands. Jesus is praying the words of a psalm, Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. You are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. Death, death is Satan's trap, and the trap has been set for everything that has breath. And the only refuge, the only rock, the only fortress, the only hope for redemption has been given through Jesus. And Jesus, as he calls out to the Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That is the call for us to do as well. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We tend to rely on all sorts of things, as I mentioned, our, our ability our money, our family, our friends, but in the end, we can only put our ultimate trust in God alone. We can't save ourselves. We can't make eternal life happen. We can't defeat death. We can't earn our redemption. No one else can, no matter how good or faithful they are, can do these things for us. And like Jesus, we must 
also commit our lives into the hands of God. Because it is the final breath of Christ that breathes life and hope even into the face of death. Jesus, the one who takes the finality of death and creates a new beginning, is able to hold you and bring you through in life, in death. Right now, commit your life into the hands of Jesus. Place yourself in his hands. Find forgiveness there for hope. Find hope from him for your future. Find strength to carry on. Find the joy and love of being held by his hands. Find peace in knowing that he holds you. He holds the future. Find the intimate relationship with a Father God who created you and loves you. He loves you perfectly. And so pray that Jesus, that the same prayer that Jesus prayed, Father, into your hands I commit. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, we remember your cross. We focus on it. We let it be large and true and take up all the space in our heart. When we rely on you, Lord, you do so much. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that you understand us. Thank you that you paid the price. Thank you that you invite us to commit our lives to you and that you will save us and redeem us. Jesus, thank you that you are the redemption of all creation. Lord, as we leave this place and leave this time, may we go in remembrance. May we go knowing that you have done an immense thing. May we not take it for granted, and may we hold on to that tension, the tension of the grave, trusting that in a short few days from now, we have a different kind of celebration. Thank you, Jesus, that while you said it is finished, it is not the end of our lives. Thank you. Amen. Friends, would you stand to receive a benediction? There'll be a, there'll just be some quiet music playing. Just take your time. You don't have to leave right away. Contemplate, meditate. Let the Lord continue to speak and work in your heart. May you go with the love of the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the presence of a Holy Spirit, now and always. Amen.